AAC and early learners. Wait, we already talked about that. Now we need to talk about AAC and our older students. See, we're always talking about AAC and our younger students and all the things that we need to do early, but it's never too late to look at different ways that AAC and supports can be used for our middle school, high schooler, and transition students. That's exactly why I brought Cherie to the Special Education Inner Circle podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Witcher. And Cherie, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. All right, so tell us, how did you end up at an IEP table? The first time I was ever at an IEP table, I was a brand new high school science teacher. And I had a student um, who apparently had an IEP, but nobody told me that this student had an IEP. And I was invited to the meeting in the spring um, because the parent thought that I would be a good advocate for her student. Um, and I don't know if I was or was not a good advocate because I didn't know the first thing about what an IEP was. No one had ever told me in my teacher education training. I, like just pause. It's like room silence at this point. Like people don't believe us. We say this all the time in the master IEP coach program. Like teachers are not trained in this. This is not a teacher's fault when they don't know some of the things that are happening, but you're supposed to know. I'm sure that you faked it really well, what you could through that meeting. I think I did fake it, but then I left that job about two months later and um, ended up going back to school to become a speech pathologist. Um, and I will also add that in my speech pathology training, I had zero training um, on how to do an IEP meeting. You really just, if you decide to work in the schools, because not all speech pathologists do choose to work in the schools, you're just kind of thrown in there and told sink or swim. And here's, you know, your caseload of 60 to 100 kids have fun. Yeah. You know, we talk about this all the time from the parent perspective, how parents feel like they're just throwing in and it's not well known like I said, that, that it, it feels in a similar way. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a parent. It's their child. There's a lot of emotions behind it. I get the difference, but there are some similarities of, oh, I've got a lot to learn. There's a big learning curve here. So when you and I chatted a little bit before this, we talked about like, what do you love? Like, what do you love that's maybe different than some other practitioners, SLPs? And you talked about AAC. So tell us a little bit about your interest in that and the students that you work with. Sure. So um, I finished graduate school and I did uh, in speech pathology and I did choose to go back into the public school system. And I ended up in a classroom. Well, I ended up with um, two different schools, but one of the classrooms I served was full of kids that were um, working on a lot of uh, switch access and cause and effect and environmental controls. And I remember I didn't even know what an IEP was, let alone um, how to work with kids with really complex needs. Um, and it left me feeling, well, the, the idea of um, just not knowing what I was supposed to do. And so through some resources and so one of my grad students, uh, I mean, my grad professors, I ended up moving across the country to do an internship to learn about complex communication and spent a year at a hospital learning about complex communication and augmentative communication. And then I went back into the schools and I started using the things that I had learned during that internship to work with school-aged students, in particular elementary school, but I did work with the middle school students during those years as well. 
Yeah. So, you know, I, I always say it's never too late, right, to look at AAC or to look at other supports. You know, when we have students who have complex needs, communication needs, medical needs, just different level of supports that feel pretty intensive during the school day, a lot of times we are um, not looking at some of the creative solutions that we could have. So I would love to hear from you. I know I said, hey, share some stories with us if you can about how you've been able to help students access their education or access their environment, improve their communication by using technology. It has been a really incredible journey, especially just in this last year. <coughs> so after working in one school for 19 years, this year I changed positions and I am now the, um, the AAC and assistive technology consultant for the entire school district. So I work K through age 21 um, with kids who need some type of assistive technology. And of course, what I love the most is working with the kids who have or need augmentative communication. And so I've been able to see some of the kids that I spent years with at the elementary school level, just getting them barely acclimated to um, maybe a high tech system or maybe a communication board and then I get to now I get to see them years later how proficient they many of them have become and how good a communicator a lot of these kids have become and it was hard at the elementary school stage to see the the 10 years down the road what it was going to look like 15 years down the road but I have a couple kids I'm working with right now that are 21 they're aging out of the school age program and I'm like oh my gosh I worked with you when you were five like I remember what you used to be like and now you're able to you might not be speaking but you're communicating your thoughts and your feelings you're telling us what you want to do what you don't want to do and it is just absolutely amazing to see that growth and I think the problem that we experienced at the elementary school level is that the the changes often didn't happen quickly and so we thought they weren't working we thought yeah this isn't really working. AAC is not really working for this kid. They don't really care about it. But now that I'm able to look at it from a, you know, I guess a 16 year perspective and watch the, the difference between five-year-olds and 21-year-olds, I see that for many of the students, it really does work. We just need to give them a lot more time and a lot more patience. Yeah, and there's a there's a lot of decision making that happens that affects these later years of you have a device, then sometimes the device goes away. And then sometimes you have to go, you know, advocate, negotiate, work with the team to get the, you know, a device put back into place and have, I don't know if you've experienced that at all. Yeah, so we have a student, I have a student right now, I used to serve him in elementary school. And when we were in elementary school, we went through the funding process through insurance and got him a device. Um, and he used it at school. He did not use it at home. And then he left us, he went off to middle school and, you know, and I lost track of of um, what had happened. Well, now I see him again at the high school and his team is all saying he needs a device. He's got so much to say and he can't, he can't say it with his mouth. He needs a device. So I go in with just kind of my trial iPad that I keep with me at all times and I plop it down in front of him. And he's like, dur, 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 you know, and he's like exploring it and talking up a storm. And we're like, oh my gosh, he needs a device. So we brought mom back in and she said, yeah, the old device that just didn't work was a different language system. It was a system that I personally love, but not all families love. 
And she said, I think we do need to try it again. And so we've just started the evaluation process for him again. Um, and he's like a 10th or 11th grader now. And he didn't, he wasn't using a device that whole in-between time after we first got him one um, until, well, now he's got a trial device from me and we're, we're looking at the process again. I love we that have so another. Much. Yeah, tell oh, us I more. Okay, I got it. We have a 21 year old. She just moved in from out of state. We don't have access to most of her records. And she is pri she's primarily non-speaking. Um, and she came in with her sister, who's kind of her guardian. Um, and they said, we want a device. She's aging out in three months and we want to talk her for her. Um, and so right now we're in the rush. We're pushing and rushing to see if we can get a device funded um, before she ages out of the program because getting these things funded can take, well, I had one girl took a year. So it can be a really um, long process, but it was really exciting to see this young woman and her sister come in and just kind of advocate for them and say, no one's given us this before, but it, we think it's something that she really needs in order to function in the community. Yeah. I just want to point out to everybody who's thinking like funded, like, what do you mean by that? There's, there's a couple of different ways to get a device funded. So we're not going to go into that huge piece of the conversation right now. I'm going to encourage everybody that if you're just like, what, what do you mean funded? And how do you get that done? And that I want to encourage you to go to masteriepcoach.com. And there's a lot of resources for you that you can reach out to us and say, Hey, I've got a question about this. I heard about it on the podcast and, and we can get you connected um, to get more information about that because there can be funding through insurance privately through the parents if they pursue that way. But there's also funding through the school um, if the school deems that it's necessary and they both have different timelines, they both have different pros and cons. There's so many layers to all of this. Um, if you were going to uh, sit down and talk to a team Okay, so we're talking to a team who has let's let's go with a child who is in eighth grade getting ready to go into high school they've never used a device before. Maybe there was this um, idea that using a device was going to stop a child from talking so they wouldn't, you know, they weren't encouraging the device because that happens a lot. Where would you kind of suggest for the team to start the conversation about AAC, whether it's a parent or a teacher and like, how do you get, you know, what do you look at? Like this evaluation process that you're doing, how does that get started? Well, first I want to dispel the notion that AAC will ever stop a child from speaking. There is no evidence at all. In fact, there's actually evidence that shows the opposite, that shows that augmentative communication systems can promote more verbal speech. And I have witnessed that happen. I've seen kids, once they start to use a device, they start copying and repeating the words that they're hearing from the device, and they start speaking more. Um, the other thing that we want to make sure to understand is that um, even if augmentative communication doesn't necessarily increase the, the verbal speech, it provides, it may provide children, it depends on the child, of course, it may provide child with an ax, with a means of communicating that they've never been able to do before. And I would argue, and I have argued, that the number one thing that you're doing in school is communicating. You're communicating verbally, you're communicating receptively, you're communicating by reading, you're communicating by writing, 
everything comes down to communication. And if you don't have that foundation, whether that be with your speech or with an augmentative communication, then you are just gonna, you're just gonna flail around. You're not gonna get any of those academic pieces as well because that communication is the foundational piece to it all. Okay, now in regards to your question for evaluations, um, so it works, it's going to work very differently no matter where you are, you know, there are some, there are some circumstances where the family is going to go in and say, I really think that my child would benefit from augmentative communication. Um, hopefully, you're going to be in a school system where the speech pathologist or the or the um, special education teacher is going to notice. And hopefully, even before all that, you're in some kind of situation where there are um, there's communication throughout the environment. There's visual communication throughout the environment. So, for example, in my school district, we have a communication board. Um, that we have posted in all the classrooms. We try to get all the staff who are related to special education to wear it on a lanyard around their neck. Um, I go in and I do trainings as often as teachers will let me go in and do it. And we're trying to provide this visual support from a paper-based system right from the very first day that that child enters the school. And what we've seen is that some kids really pick up on that really fast. And, and some kids don't, you know, and that's okay because it takes a long time for, for some kids. And it just having that visual support is the beginning of essentially an AAC evaluation. Not everyone needs a computer device for their augmentative communication. For some students, paper-based is the way to go. And actually there's research studies out there that talk about um, adults' preferences. And there's a lot of adults who use AAC that prefer paper-based because it's not gonna break down on you because it brings your communication partner physically closer to you. You know, there's a lot of great things about any type of augmentative communication. So it's important to realize that there's a huge spectrum of what is available and that many individuals who use augmentative communication use it all. They sometimes use paper-based, they sometimes use computer-based and they sometimes use battery-based. Um, and so it's just, it's just tools. They're just tools to help us. Um, and hopefully you have a child that's in a system, a school system where somebody realizes, you know, that child's communication is not functional or it's not good enough to access their education. What can we do? What tool can we give them to help them access their education better? That is a perfect statement right there of like, what tools can we, can we give them? What tools can we work with? It's always asking the question. I, I feel like in this area of like, what else, what else can we do and how else can we support this student? It's not just a decision that's one and done. I feel like this is one of those decisions that's ever evolving based on the child, based on the school, based on their age, based on their needs. Um, so, all right, let's give some words of encouragement. I know that you're working in the school system right now, which means that you're feeling the pressure just like everybody else of all the things that are happening in our special education community. Um, I also know that you love to support other SLPs in, in their role. And um, so what, what encouragement would you give to that SLP or to that parent who's overwhelmed when they even start to think about AAC? I have an acronym that I developed based on the, the research. There's lots of different acronyms out there for how to support our early language learners. And a lot of our students who use AAC are early language learners. Not all, but, but many of them are. Um, and 
I like acronyms that actually spell words. So I came up with the acronym WISE and I tell this to my um, staff all the time. And this relates whether the child is using augmentative communication or they're just an early, early language learner. Um, and that is, first of all, they need to W is for wait. You need to wait five to 10 seconds before you expect a child to say or even process the information that you are telling them. Because so many of our individuals with complex communication needs have a lot of processing time that they need to figure out what you're saying and then come up with a response if they're going to respond. The I um, is for invite, invite those children to communicate. Don't force them, don't say, say this, say that, don't test them, what's this, what's that, but invite them, make it fun. Like, wow, where do you think we should go tonight? What are we gonna do? And if they don't answer, that's okay, but we're inviting them into that conversation. Um, S is for show, and that is the, the modeling part of augmentative communication. So just in the same way that you model for a child that does learn to speak, you model your speech for hundreds and thousands of hours before you expect that child to start speaking. The same is true for our AAC users. We need to model or show them this language system for hundreds of thousands of hours. And it's not hard. You just point to things as you say them. And if you don't know where they are, that's okay. You just explore it together. It's totally fine to fumble your way through it. The kids don't care, I promise. Um, and then E for wise is to expand, meaning you take whatever they give you and you expand it a little bit more. They give you one word, you turn it into two. They give you eye gaze, you interpret that as what you think that child is trying to say and give them the words. I think you're trying to say blank and just expand their language just a little bit more. So the wise acronym is what I would tell parents as well as school staff for any any child that's an early language learner, no matter what they're using for their communication system. I love that. I love learning new things. And, and I love that you have that acronym. It really does simplify things. I'm going to encourage everybody that if you took anything away, the snippet where you were nodding your head saying, yes, yes, I needed to know that I needed to hear that, that you leave a comment or a five-star review, share this with a friend. The more that you comment, leave a review, share with a friend, the more parents and teachers that find this podcast, they find the information. And that's what we need to do in special education is collaborate and share information. So please help share this. I also want to encourage you, wherever you're watching this at, there's going to be links on how do you, you can connect with Cherie. You, you have a course coming out, you mentioned, correct? So this summer, who's who should take the course? Uh, so I have a course. I've been running it for years. It's a summer course for speech pathologists who work in the schools to help you get organized and ready to slay your next year. So if you're a speech path listening to this, I would love to see you in the super organized SLP. Oh, that's fantastic. We'll make sure the links are there. Again, if you want to know more in depth, information on anything on this episode or on the other episodes of the special education inner circle, please hop on over to masteridpcoach.com. Sheree, thank you for being here today with us. Well, thank you for having me.